Hi everyone and welcome to episode 47 of Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, we're happy to be back with you after um, about, I don't know, six weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty long hiatus. Off. Um, we have a lot to get to today, but I think the first item we um, want to discuss is the breaking news related to former New England Patriots assistant um, or defensive coordinator Matt Patricia, um, current Detroit Lions head coach. Um, and just yesterday, friend of the pod, um, Robert Snell, just, uh, wrote a story um, after uncovering um, that Patricia had been arrested and charged with sexual assault in Texas back about 20-ish years ago. Yeah, 1991, I think. Um, when he was playing football for Rensselaer. <laughs> um, apparently, he never disclosed any of this information to his uh, new employer, the Detroit Lions. Um, and so, I guess as an initial thing, definitely recommend you check out the uh, investigative report on the Detroit News website. Um, but... Yeah, this is really throwing a wrench into the uh, start of Matt Patricia's career with the Detroit Lions, his first head coaching or first NFL head coaching position. Um, yeah, I can't tell if uh, the Patriots also did not know about this because he, I think in the article it said something, or maybe in a subsequent article I've written or read today, mm -hmm. it said something about it wouldn't necessarily come up for his engineering jobs, but it sounds like he's never really talked about it to any employer. Well, and it could be because, so um, as was uh, discovered based, I guess, on a review of court records, it looks like he was charged um, and indicted mm -hmm. for um, aggravated sexual assault under Texas law. Um, it was back in March of 1996, but he never went to trial. Um, so it could be that because he was never convicted, he didn't think he had to disclose it. Although I feel like on lots of job applications, they ask if you were even arrested for something. Yeah. Um, so it seems a bit odd that nobody would have heard about this before mm -hmm. yesterday. <laughs> um, and the, I mean, the circumstances of the case are pretty awful they um, are awful apparently he he and well i guess at least one of his other teammates who is also charged with aggravated sexual assaults um were in south padre island texas celebrating spring break um they met a woman uh at the i guess at a beach and then later that evening burst into her hotel room um and uh took turns sexually assaulting her Patricia has categorically denied mm -hmm. being involved in any of this. Um, he insists that it's totally untrue and, and it's fabricated. Just, uh, mm -hmm. just something done to harm him. Now, here's the thing. He was 21, 20, 21 at the time. Like, who, who would care about him back then? It's not like, like if the allegations aren't true because this woman was trying to embarrass him, that seems... Crazy because who gives a shitty play for RPI <laughs> in 1996? Mm -hmm. um, not an RPI was not a football powerhouse. Right? No, yeah, no, they were not. Still aren't. Um, but if his allegation is that now the reporter, the people who are reporting on this, are trying to like shame him, mm -hmm. I mean, they're just reporting what's in the court records. So yeah. where is this coming from? I mean, I guess this is just what you say when you have been accused of sexual assault and mm -hmm. don't want to admit that you did it but it's doesn't it doesn't add up to me his yeah. defense 
No, his defense doesn't add up to me, and I think that the uh, the statements made by his attorney and uh, the Dietrich's attorney, the yeah. uh, co-defendant, are really troubling because they basically say that she lied, that she made things up, that she was a troubled young woman. I'm like, well, they had met literally hours before, so what the hell do they know? Well, but I don't think that, yeah, I mean, so assuming that the defense attorneys are funneling, like their defense, right. or funneling what um, Patricia and Dietrich said, I mean, first of all, like, she has not, um, she's not made any statements. She did not cooperate with Rob's investigation or, like, made a statement for the article. And she, the reason why the charges were dismissed way back in 1996 is because she felt that she couldn't handle the stress and probably the notoriety of having to testify in this trial. Like, that was 22 years ago, and we're still not all that great about victim shaming and victim blaming. No. So you can just imagine that it was compounded 22 years ago. And so she made a choice to not um, testify, so that's why the charges were ultimately dismissed. But at no point can I say that she did this in order to like blindside Patricia or gain notoriety for herself because she hasn't been a part of this process. Like, you know? Right, and you would also think, you know, I'm a firm believer that people, A, just because you get arrested doesn't mean that you're guilty of anything, and B, even if you are convicted in a court of law, like you serve your time, you should be allowed to carry mm -hmm. on through life. Um, so I don't, I'm not, I don't know that Matt Patricia should be, regardless of whether he did it or whether he didn't. I mean, if he did it and didn't ever, was never held accountable, that's frustrating. But mm -hmm. aside from all that, it's been 20 years. Like, I suppose there's an argument he should be able to move on with his life. Um, however, like these records exist. And if he didn't give his employer a heads up that they were out there yeah. ripe for the finding <laughs> for some, you know, inquisitive person, like that's his fault. That's, it seems like a... a huge mistake why now i will even though i am an employment attorney i've never uh participated on the kind of back end review of a background check so i don't know whether this would have come up i would think arrest records would. arrest arrest records would um and so in california and this actually rob does a really great job of going into this particular aspect in the article about what employers are able to do in terms of whether or not they can consider arrest versus convictions, right. whether you get sent to a diversion program, what the laws are in Michigan about what you can what you can dig up and, and what you can consider. In California, we have um, what is called ban the box, which right. is initially you as an employer cannot make any sort of determination as to whether or not you're going to reject an applicant uh, based on a criminal background until... And not until like after the you've established the person has met the minimum qualifications for the job. So basically, it's much further down the process. And you also have to make an individualized assessment as to whether or not that the conviction is either job related or in any way would impact some of the essential duties of the job. So just because you know, you can always say, yes, this person was arrested and convicted of, like, you know, drunk driving, and I'm going to hire him to drive for my business. No, I don't want to do that because of the fact that they're related, but you can't say that I'm not going to hire this person who's been convicted of embezzlement, for example, when they have nothing to do with any financial books or, you know, sure. they are, they're a park and rec leader. Like, that doesn't make sense. So, um, but it is, but it, but the court records were out there. You... Deadspin, I think, basically typed his name into LexisNexis and came up with the arrest in like 30 seconds. So it's not like this was hard information to find. And it was within the employer's right to find it. Um, so 
I think to me the most troubling aspect of it all, and and it actually might make the story last longer. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean to term it in a way that like it shouldn't be a story at all. But I'm just saying like the fact that his defense attorney said these like really reprehensible things about the victim, and that Patricia's like I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Then, as the victim, I would say, look, that's total BS. Like I know what happened to me. Like this would create. This would actually make me as a victim want to come out and say, shout it from the rooftops. This is what you did to me. <laughs> Yeah, now the, um, as I understand from reading the story, it's the Detroit News' policy not to disclose the names of sexual assault victims. So this woman may be thinking to herself, well, no one has, I mean, her name will come out. That's the sad reality of the world that we live in. But until it does, she may be taking the position that like, I don't want, I've mm -hmm. moved on with my life. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. Um, but, you know, I agree with you to the extent that there are people who know that this happened to her and she is has to sit by while her reputation is trashed exactly you know, now patricia complained about never having a chance to defend himself mm -hmm. except that the fucking case went away <laughs> whatever um you know he's kind of turned the tables on her and yeah. um yeah i mean in the world we are living in now and again why this didn't occur to him but i guess he is a rich white guy who lives in that bubble um that this would come out uh, you know, Me Too mm -hmm. times up. Of course, people are going to be looking into this stuff. Um, it just seems like something that he at least should have given his employer a heads up on. Now, there is a quote in um, from the Lions president, Rod Wood, that explained that the background check that the Lions ran was limited only to employment matters, didn't um, disclose any criminal matters unless they would have resulted in a conviction or a plea argument. So, or plea agreement, excuse mm -hmm. me. So it means they it wouldn't have shown up, at least the arrest wouldn't have shown up in their review. Um, and I guess it sounds like even the grand jury indictment wouldn't have shown yeah, up. Yeah, but that just seems like a, a pretty cursory background check for someone who you're basically handing over a multi-million dollar empire to, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I wonder if they were, well... Um, I guess I wonder if they assumed if he had done something really awful, he wouldn't have continued working with the Patriots. And fun fact, the current Lions GM was a Patriots executive from 2000 to 2015. Oh. Um, he said that he didn't know about the charge against Patricia, um, or he, sorry, he didn't say that. The assertion in this um, article from Sports Illustrated is that either he didn't know or he didn't think it was that big of a deal. So he didn't bother to mention to anyone. I suppose that the uh, Lions president could have been thinking, well, if this, this guy worked with him. And he knew from him from before. How could he not have known yeah. about this um, and kind of trusted that? But uh, it seems like this is a... Um, a uh, really shining example of why you should always do an independent review of anyone that you hire and not just trust kind of word of mouth. Exactly. Um, Dan Wetzel's column in Yahoo today pointed out that Vance Joseph had to answer questions about um, sexual assault allegations when he was hired to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos, but he disclosed it, they talked about it, and they went ahead with a hire anyways, which is a fine yeah. choice for them to make. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, as long as everyone's on board with it, but it's just the idea that there was this this huge skeleton lurking, and like, I just can't imagine that at no point in Mr. Patricia's life do you think that this would not come out. It is a court record. Right. Mm -hmm. He did describe it as mental torture. Yeah. What happened in 1996 or what happened last night and today? I, I think or, what happened last night and today. <laughs> okay. It's a little unclear. 
Um, he seems to have done okay for himself and recovered from this torturous uh, thing that happened to him. But I, I don't know. I guess I'm having a lot of trouble um, garnering any sympathy uh, for him. It just seems so stupid that he wouldn't have mentioned this to someone mm -hmm. before this blew up in the news. Mm -hmm. um, fun fact, not actually fun, terrible fact about the on the box uh, <laughs> process there I was at a, um, a like continuing education class about that particular employment practice and so the reason that they got when we talk about ban the box it means you get rid of the box where you check off if you've been convicted of a felony on the job application crime. itself yes <laughs> um, and so after um, in states where they pass laws banning the box they're discovering that um, there are even lower rates of um, people of color moving through the hiring process because now people just assume that they've oh, committed crimes. that's awesome. So, oh my God. Um, it seems to be having an unintended impact, the actual opposite impact of what it was meant to do, which is to um, give folks a uh, chance at a fresh start and not have that information come out until... It was kind of the uh, employer had already decided they wanted them and then got the information disclosed. Um, that would actually be a, an easier, I don't know why my phone is ringing so much today. <laughs> that would probably be an easier case to prove that you were just discriminating against me based on the color of my skin versus like now I have to go into this long like explanation about my criminal background history or lack thereof. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's really, that's quite unfortunate. Um, I know that I've had to advise some clients who've had some struggles with like this happened 10 years ago or this happened yeah. within five years, but it's kind of related, but not really related, which I do. And so it's, it's been interesting. Um, just for, I know that one of our last podcasts talked about <laughs> Rob yeah. Snell. Um, so when Burke mentioned that he is a friend of the pod, he actually is a friend of my husband's. They went to high school together. I've known Rob for probably like 20 years now, and he is a great journalist, was journalist of the year in 20, like was just named journalist of the year in April for like work that he's done. Wow. Yeah, um, in the like Detroit area. And so this is his like, this, this has gotten quite a lot of national attention. It's been on ESPN today. Um, he was also the guy who tweeted about uh, Sheriff Clark and his lawsuit. Um, that got him some <laughs> notoriety as well. But he recently did a multi-piece um, multi feature about uh, gangs, racketeering, and like essentially thug life in Detroit. Um, called in stuff by Instagram, right? For the Detroit mm -hmm. news. So if anybody wants to read more of Rob's work, they can find it at the Detroit news. I'm very proud of him for this story. Um, and like the general reporting that he does, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm sure like everyone has said that they're standing behind Matt Patricia and the hire and, you know, they are. Um, <laughs> yes, it was really interesting. And I think Mina Kimes pointed out that the lion statement, like, why did they have to mention that he was 21 years old and on spring break? Like, what relevance does that have? Like, are you basically trying to excuse his behavior? It seems like it's implying, like, he acted like an idiot and made yeah. a bad choice. Yeah. Because I don't think, at least from what I've seen, he didn't, I mean, there's been no allegation that the uh, incident didn't happen. It's just that they, he doesn't believe he committed any crimes. Oh. So... 
I read it the other way, which is he's saying that the incident didn't happen at all. It was completely fabricated. Oh, okay. Yeah, but interesting. Okay. So uh, that's Matt Patricia. Moving on to our next story, we wanted to talk about T.J. Miller, um, who was in the news most recently because he was just given permission to travel abroad. And I'll let Burke tell you why. <laughs> um, so uh, T.J. Miller, late of... Um, uh, Silicon Valley and the Emoji Movie oh my God, <laughs> uh, was arrested on April 9th after calling in a fake bomb threat uh, while he was on a train from New York City to Washington, D.C. Um, he, back on March 18th, called 911 and stated that a female passenger had a bomb in her bag. Um, someone from his camp said he really believed it. That's why he left his name and phone number when he called 911. Yeah. Um, and apparently when, once this, uh, the phone call was investigated, the woman, I believe was the train was stopped. She was taken off of the train. Um, an attendant on the train, uh, said that Miller was drunk when he got on the train, drank two glasses of wine and two double scotch and sodas while he was on board had a hostile exchange with the woman who was sitting near him um, after she, quote-unquote, rebuffed his flirtatious advances, and he was mad at her, so that's why he called it a bomb threat. How long is the train ride from D.C. to New York? Or so it really depends. Um, if you are going on the Acela train, which is our version of a high-speed train, which is not high-speed at all, it's probably like three and a half hours. Okay. If you're going, I'm assuming he's on Acela because they're nicer mm -hmm. trains. Um, if you're going on the like regular train, I think it'd be like four and a half, five hours. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So he, like a... I, I have a lot of questions about why I thought it was a good idea to call in this bomb threat, but whatever. Um, so he got thrown off the train because he was drunk and acting like an asshole. And um, he was thrown off the train before the bomb squad got yeah. there. Mm -hmm. He was, as I said, arrested in early April. He was released on $100,000 bail and is awaiting trial on the false bomb call charges. Yeah. So uh, as a condition of his bail, he was uh, granted the ability to travel within the United States. And I guess he recently petitioned the court so that he could travel internationally. And that, that was granted. Um, I don't know if it's because he's doing publicity for something or for work or what. Right. Have you. So he is in the new um, Deadpool movie, mm -hmm. but at least based on the um, ads I've seen, they're kind of downplaying his involvement in the Deadpool movie. Understandably um, so. And he is, aside from being an actor, he is a working stand-up comedian. Um, so he... I believe has been traveling to do comedy shows uh, mm -hmm. uh, based on some of the articles I've read, but I didn't realize he had like an international international comedic following. I'm going to assume that he doesn't because I can barely stand him. Uh, did you know that he was also the spokesperson for Mucinex? Yep, you can yeah. recognize his voice. He's yeah. the yeah, he's the mucus talking. Yeah. It seems pretty apropos. I, I really thought he played the poop emoji in the emoji <laughs> movie, but I believe that was Patrick Stewart. So oh. um, this is not the first time that he has had issues with or had legal issues. Um, he's like a walking embodiment of white male privilege. Not to keep talking about. <laughs> crappy white men uh, today, but anyway, I'm sorry, carry on. Oh no, he and his um, wife were thrown out of a Monte Carlo casino for acting like overly aggressive um, during, like I think, promotion of the Emoji movie. 
Um, he was also accused of sexual assault by a woman that he went to college with, right? Yes. Yeah. He um, was arrested after, um, or he got into trouble after beating up an Uber driver in LA. Oh, yeah, that's right. They got into a fight about Donald Trump. It's unclear who, what side he was on or what side each of the people were on. Um, he also, um, as part of that, he told TMZ that he was under the, or excuse me, the driver told TMZ that Miller was under the influence of whippets at the time the altercation occurred. Miller said that that's not true. Um, he was also, fought, well, I guess he was, asked not to return to Silicon Valley because he mm -hmm. was drunk and high on set all the time and was becoming impossible to work with. Um, so yeah, he seems like a real troubled soul and probably should take some time to um, go get the help he quite obviously needs. Mm -hmm. um, but he, uh, a lot of the talk around both some of the, the folks who have been, who come out in public talking about what a mess he is um, and also the conversation surrounding the sexual assault allegations back in um, the early 2000s have revolved around the idea that his dad is a rich lawyer and has always been able to get oh, him get out, out of trouble. trouble. So that's why he's never really, um, it appears at least that he's never really felt the full consequences of his behavior. Um, and I guess this is what happens when you're a 36 year old man who's never been compelled to grow up. So <laughs> giant man child. Yeah, he's terrible. He is. Ugh. It's the worst. Um, so I don't think a trial date has been set on this. I, I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, it seems like... He left his name and his phone number, so it's not like there was any mistake as to who made the call in... No, and I don't know enough about the laws around, like, calling in false Through terrorist reports. threats <laughs> um, or criminal reports. Mm -hmm. um, I would think if he can establish that he, like, genuinely believed that she had there was something wrong mm -hmm. with her, he should be able to get out from under this, you know, and you... I, if anyone listening is from New York, might not just be a New York thing, um, all over the subways they say, if you see something, say, say something. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, I, if I were him, that's what I would argue. Like, I really thought that yeah, she was but if you a bomb. But if you really thought that she was carrying a bomb, but at the time that you really thought that, you were compromised because you were drunk, like, could you really think that? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> in a not, reasonable but, way? but here's a question. They threw him off the train before the bomb squad showed up. Mm -hmm. It's the word of the attendants on the train against him. Yep. So, I mean, they might have receipts or something that show, like, his his credit card purchase. Yeah, because he bought wine and scotch. I want to say, I used to, when I lived on the East Coast, I used to ride the train a lot. I want to say it's like airplanes now you have to use a credit card, mm -hmm. so he couldn't have just paid in cash. Um but yeah, they're not gonna have like a breathalyzer or blood yeah, evidence to show that he was drunk or high when mm -hmm. this incident happened. So, um, so many layers. It seems like they, he should just plead this out, but since they've got some good evidence, but he could always potentially mm -hmm. defend himself. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on to our next story, which is not a terrible white guy doing something um oh no no wait, it is i take that back he's not necessarily the famous one but um allison mack 
um, her trial is slated to start like October 1st, I think. Yes, yeah, so this relates to the story we've been talking about in a couple of um, prior That's podcasts. So weird. The, the Nexium sex cult. Mm-hmm. Um, so Allison Mack was uh, the kind of sidekick to uh, Clark Kent on the WB show Smallville mm-hmm. back in the uh, early aughts. And uh, after she, I guess, ended her acting career, she became the chief spokesperson and recruiter for the Nexium sex cult. Yes. There's actually a pretty lengthy and good article in Variety that points to the fact that she probably started, or she started her engagement with Nexium while they were shooting Small Smallville in Vancouver. she got Kristen Crook to come Yeah. Along? So basically, um, so Nexium has a fairly large-ish presence in Vancouver, and what the how they like basically enticed her and Kristen Crook in was like addressed by Kristen Crook when she came out um, and talked about this like a month ago. But it was really about going to these workshops to empower yourself, to give yourself confidence and um, like it has sort of like a new age vibe to it that it was based about like on self-help and things like that. And um, so the, I guess the seminars about self-help and the empowerment are kind of legit. Um, and so a lot of people have participated in this and because a lot of shows are filming in Vancouver, there's actually kind of a, a big pool of basically young actors and actresses who probably have some like insecurity problems like to pick from. Huh. And so that's how it got started or that's how she got involved in it. And, um, but it sort of morphed into, or maybe it's always been like this, but the way that I read the article was that basically... Um, Nexium and ESP, which is the name of that self-help program, you go in there and you sort of like talk about like why you're insecure or why you have doubt and like so you can take those tools that they provide to you and like become confident and oh. um, but they know the bases for your insecurities. So they can come for so you now. Can, exactly. <laughs> Yikes. So that's how basically that you get recruited is that you come in and you're like, oh, I have these insecurities about blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, someone like Allison Matt calls you up on the phone. And is like, I can help you with that. Come to upstate New York and we can work on this. Or and then whatever. we'll brand you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Um, so she was arraigned in a federal court in Brooklyn in mid-April, released on $5 million bond. Um, the U.S. attorney in documents filed as part of her arraignment um, explained that she is being charged with using force, fraud, and coercion to recruit and maintain slaves and instructing those slaves to engage in sexual acts with Keith Ranieri, who is mm-hmm. the guy who kind of ran the program. Um, among other assignments, the defendant aggressively recruited slaves and required those slaves to recruit slaves of their own. It's like a power or a pyramid scheme. Seriously. Um, and they use the term DOS, DOS slaves, uh, which the Daily Beast explained loosely translates to master over the slave women um, and is often called the vow in Nexium mm-hmm. culture, I mm-hmm. guess. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, this is horrifying. So they would coerce the women into staying enslaved by basically they would make them divulge like really embarrassing information about themselves or photos um, that they could use against the enslaved women if they tried to leave. And some 
of the enslaved women said that basically they um, they were groomed for sex with Keith Ranieri, mm-hmm. and they were ordered to adhere to these like super restrictive diets like I think it like up to 500 up to as little as 500 calories a day which caused like um women to lose their hair and to stop their menstrual cycles and they just basically screwed them up um which is awfully unfortunate since they were not allowed to remove their pubic hair yes exactly he like (laughs) you're welcome for that detail (laughs) I was like I was wondering I saw it I'm like I'm not gonna read it but you went there so that's fine um, so you talked about them losing their hair. Well, yes, well, losing their hair, the hair, their head hair. Um, but they were always like sleep deprived because they needed to be able to engage in like readiness drills that could happen at any time of day or night. Um, and then they would like, I guess, like what Allison Mack got out of this was aside from like the power and the authority, but they do stuff for her. Wait. <laughs> like so she gained they were like her domestic slaves yeah like I read the article and it's like and she gained financially from them but it was not through money it was just the fact that she had people who would do stuff for her and I was really surprised she was arrested in Brooklyn I thought she'd have to live on the compound but apparently she doesn't or she didn't I don't know she I guess recently married a Canadian actress and the allegation is that it's because she's trying to get her to join yeah, the, the, the cult mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know what she was doing in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, but the um, the mandatory minimum sentence that she would be subject to if she were convicted is 15 years um, to potentially life. Uh, the prosecutors uh, argued that she should be given a significant bail package and be basically confined to her house um, because she has so much information about the quote-unquote slaves yeah. and with all of her power within this community, uh, she is a significant risk of um, trying to direct people to act on her behalf or intimidate witnesses, which could, of course, then cause the um, whole case to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think she was released to her custody of her parents, parents with yeah. an ankle monitor. And I'm, I'm wondering if... So she had been in Mexico... She voluntarily returned to the U.S. She might have been charged in federal court in Brooklyn because that is the uh, federal district court that would cover JFK and LaGuardia. That's where she flew into. Um, I believe both of those are in the Eastern District of New York. According to the Variety article... I quote, in the years since the show ended, Mac relocated to New York. Prosecutor said she spent the past year living in an apartment in Brooklyn oh, where she right. was arrested. Yeah, but I think her parents live um, in Southern California somewhere. Um, and that's where she is being held. I think they're probably just no. going to basically try to get her to flip on the cult leader for a reduced sentence. Ranieri, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, she's being, she, she has an ankle monitor. She's stuck at her parents' house somewhere in central California. And she can travel to New York for mandatory court appearances and lawyers visits uh, and can leave her home with advanced approval. He's in jail right now, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's just so strange. I mean, I don't know. I, it, because it's like sex trafficking in a sex cult, it makes it sound, it just sounds like these poor, I mean, the abuse of these women, that's, really terrible but it just started off with come to a seminar and try to empower yourself and like learn the secret with the thing that was like hugely popular in the mid oh, 2000s right, where if you just like project something yeah you get it, it yes which i projected a lot of things as a small child that i never got no i'm still waiting on that pony <laughs> um 
Yeah, so that's the Alice and Max story. It should be, it, it'll be interesting to see, A, if she decides in her own self-interest she should flip on Ranieri, or um, if she is like just as kind of brainwashed as some of the women who were mm -hmm. trapped in this situation and is like incapable of turning on him and then... Yeah, I'm going to hazard a guess that like living at your parents' house with an ankle monitor with like basic cracker. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. This is this is not this is not a life that she probably yeah it'll wake her up quickly. I hope. Um, so that's Alice and Mac, and for our fourth big story for today, um, Bill Cosby was found guilty of drugging and sexually assaulting um, Andrea Constand in his home um, like 14 years ago. And it was three counts of sexual assault, and each one of those counts, I think, comes with like a 10-year sentence? Believe so. Mm -hmm. um, this was the second Bill Cosby trial. The first one uh, ended in mistrial last fall, Okay, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting, like... That uh, So it ended in mistrial, so they started the process over again. This time around, there were five women who were able to testify that something very similar happened to them. So we've talked about this on our previous podcast, but essentially, like, you know, Bill Cosby's really super creepy MO was to drug them and then sexually assault them while they were, like, incapacitated or unconscious. Um, and this is what happened to Ms. Constand. Uh, I think she was given Benadryl. I don't know if she was given Quaaludes. Maybe she was. I can't really remember right now. Yeah, and so what I found particularly interesting, so as you mentioned, there were five um, other women who alleged they'd been assaulted by uh, Bill Cosby who were allowed to testify in this trial, but in an interview with one of the jurors... Oh, yes, this was pretty... I mean, this was interesting for many different reasons. Um, a young man named Harrison Snyder... When asked about, you know, basically did these have a, the testimony of these women, did that have an mm -hmm. impact on you? He said, not really, because it was Cosby's own words yeah. in a 2005 deposition that kind of sunk him. Yeah. Um, and what he's referring to is a deposition in a civil lawsuit that was brought against him by Andrea Constand, um, in which her attorney asked, when you got the quaaludes, was it in your mind that you were going to use these quaaludes for young women that you wanted to have sex with? To which Bill Cosby replied, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so there's really no getting around that. No. Um, and Cosby had argued pretty vociferously to keep that deposition out of yeah. court, um, arguing that, you know, this was all meant to be confidential. And I believe he reached some kind of financial settlement with Andrea Constand mm -hmm. as part of that agreement. Um, it included confidentiality provisions, but the judges didn't care. Um, <laughs> and so that all came into, um, to the trial and, uh, really led to his downfall. Yeah. Also, at least for Mr. Snyder. Right. Yeah. Also his attorney fell asleep during the trial, which not a good look. I mean, no, probably not sufficient though, to get it thrown exactly. out for ineffective <laughs> assistance of counsel though, mm -hmm. which is a, we could do an entire episode <laughs> on that. Um, you basically have to be like a potted plant in order to like, to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause you fall asleep once or it doesn't, I mean, you could do some seriously terrible things and still you won't get your case kicked out because of right. ineffective assistance of counsel. Watch, um, if you haven't already watched the documentary making a murder and you will see for the, for those of you who have watched it, there are two kind of key defendants 
Um, the one that I'm thinking of is the nephew, Brendan Dassey, whose attorney basically, I mean, colluded is maybe going a little bit far, but certainly seems to have basically colluded with the government attorneys to get this kid to plead guilty. Um, and he did not, he was not found to have engaged in ineffective assistance <laughs> of counsel, um, warranting a new trial. So yeah, you have to be like, you have to be terrible in order to get kicked to reach yeah. that level. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. So you had mentioned <coughs> that um, Harrison Snyder, 22, thought that basically that it was Cosby's own words that um, made Harrison think that he was guilty. The other two things that I thought was like deeply fascinating was that Harrison Snyder is too young to even have remembered who Bill Cosby was. He mm -hmm. never saw the Cosby show growing up. Um, and the other thing was that he didn't know about the Me Too movement until after this trial. So I have no idea what rock he's living under. He lives near Philadelphia. It's not like he really lives out in the middle of the woods. I mean, maybe there are some rural places near Philly, but that's... Yeah, but even as a 22-year-old who lives in, like, a rural area, you unless you're Amish, you have a phone that has the internet, right? That's true. So that's just what I was... Um, he I was be Amish. That's true. It didn't say in the article whether he was Amish or not. Yes. And I don't want to make disparaging remarks about Amish people because it's kind of cool that you can just go through life without electricity. Very good bakers. Mm -hmm. I'm probably makers. generalizing, but my grandmother lived in northeastern Pennsylvania and there was an Amish family that would come to her local farmer's market and they made really good baked goods. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> um, so it's, it's unlikely that he is actually going to get the maximum sentence of 30 years or even 10 years if they're served concurrently and not consecutively because he is, how old is he? 80. He's 80 and he's blind. Can't see. And yes, and he has other health issues. He can barely walk. Yeah, so the likelihood of him getting the maximum sentence or even the maximum sentence for one um, is highly unlikely. I thought that it was really funny. Um, in a April 26th New York Times article recounted what happened when the Montgomery County District Attorney, Kevin Steele, asked that Mr. Cosby's $1 million bail be revoked, suggesting that he had been convicted of a serious crime, owned a plane, and could flee, prompting an angry outburst from Mr. Cosby, who shouted, he doesn't have a plane, you asshole. Which he's is talking about himself. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because he, one, he's like shouting oh. in a courtroom, but he's also talking about himself in the third person. So I don't know. Maybe that goes to his mental state, or maybe that's what famous people do. But <laughs> it's just where he's trying to establish himself as being like an old crazy person and shouldn't have to go to prison. Um, I believe he is on house arrest mm. right now. Yeah, Camille Cosby has like tripled down. <laughs> I know I've said this before and I will say it again. Stop comparing being held accountable for your bad behavior to witch hunts and lynchings. It does a disservice to the people who are actually subjected to witch hunts and lynchings and who continue to be subjected to lynchings mm -hmm. in this country. Um, no one has tied up Bill Cosby and tried to set him on fire at a stake in a public square. He is not being hunted. For doing nothing more than just being African-American. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I believe... I, be I believe Camille Cosby um, used both witch hunt and lynching in her comments. Um, I don't know. I guess you've, you've uh, what is the word I'm looking for? You've hitched your wagon to this guy for 50, 60 years. Like, what the hell are you going to do? But um, there's a lot just, you can do. 
seems like there's a lot you can do. A lot of questions about why she is going down and she's allowing herself to be dragged down with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's upsetting. I'm just going to let the Cliff and Claire Huxtable of my childhood live in my head, and that will be how I remember <laughs> the Cosby family and not this ugly, ugly mess. Um, those are four big stories of the last couple of weeks. Um, going quickly to our three-minute warning, um, there's been kind of, I don't know if increase in notoriety about R. Kelly is the right phraseology. I know we talk about him a lot on this podcast, um, but I think there's been more, I guess, more visibility in terms of people's trying to wake other people up to the fact that he is a truly reprehensible human being that hasn't really been quite called out in a meaningful way for running a sex cult, having sex slaves, grooming sex pets, like being a child molester. Being a child molester. Yeah, like all of those things. Yeah, um finally it seems like people care about him engaging in this behavior. His whole team of like publicists and attorneys, etc., appears to have quit on him. Um it the uh internet campaign around this is called hashtag mute r kelly and um Mm -hmm. these it was started by women who have been working on this for years and years and years and finally seemed to pick up traction a couple of weeks ago um it's been pushed significantly by tarana burke who is the founder of the me too movement uh yeah and i mean i i hate to think it's as simple as nobody cares about what happens to young women of color but it certainly seems like Nobody gave a shit about what was happening to these young women of color until, uh, I guess, we hit a critical mass of outrage. Yeah, there's a pretty good article on The Ringer um, written by Justin Charity um, about basically R. Kelly, who hasn't had very much commercial success over the last... Right. decade and you know he still tours but like uh, his concerts are not sold out or anything and the music that he produces is not played on um it's the really popular radio station in new york k-rock no that's la yeah um but uh i'll think of it in a second but oh the hot 100 yes um like he's not really his music is not being played but Justin Charity asserts that it's essentially like the record label and people in the music industry that continue to protect him or that's where he's found Mm -hmm. protection because you're right if this has happened to any other musical artist like why would he still be out there walking free like (laughs) I don't know and the um it may have been a ringer podcast I was listening to it was either that or keep it with Ira Madison on the Crooked Media Network, which is amazing, um, where they were talking about like Aaliyah's family. So Aaliyah is an R&B mm-hmm. um, artist who tragically killed in a plane crash um, when she was in her early 20s, but she married R. Kelly when she was 15, 15. years old. Yeah. And people have been trying to talk to her family about the whole situation, and they won't, they're not speaking publicly about it, but have... I guess through family sources have said like it that was that whole situation was deeply damaging to her and it kind of had repercussions throughout the rest of her life um but that was in the early 90s like i listened to Aaliyah when i was in middle school and he's been a 
fucking creep for 25 years. That yeah, I know, I know. It's just, it, it's really inexplicable. Uh, the woman who, the two activists who created the um, Mute R. Kelly campaign, Ora Nike Odele and Kenyatta Barnes, in case, in case anyone is doing research. <laughs> Um, so no criminal charges as of yet. Uh, it does seem as though his, uh, songs, all the songs were really recently pulled off Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so it, it seems like the public has tired of R. Kelly. Um, and we'll, we'll see if that has any legal repercussions or just economic repercussions, which, um, would probably hurt him more since he was able to dodge the child porn charges that he was tried for mm-hmm. um, I know. a decade or so ago. Just, it's, they had a freaking videotape. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> like, he is Teflon. I don't, like, I don't understand. Um, Ruben Foster? Yeah, so Ruben Foster, player for the 49ers, um, was arrested. I think we have talked about the arrest previously arrested for beating up his girlfriend. Um, now the girlfriend appears to be recanting her story and saying that she got into a fight with another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and Reuben Foster got upset with her about that. And so then she threatened to go to the cops and tell them that she, he did it to her. Mm-hmm. He also, there's an allegation that he picked her dog up and threw it across the room, which is, I mean, not more horrifying than beating up the, his girlfriend, but pretty terrible. Um, the whole story seems kind of fishy to me. Like, that doesn't... The, the, the That she, like, got into a fight with another woman and he got mad yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. And then she is now admitting she said she would destroy his life if he stayed mad at her. I don't really... I don't understand. I don't know if it was a typo in the article that I was reading where it was her attorney that was making all of these comments. That seems sort of crazy to me. Um, but Foster's former girlfriend Ennis released a statement through her attorney yeah. stating that injuries were not caused by Foster, but by a fight she had with another woman. So no, I don't think it was a typo. I think you read it correctly. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. I don't know. The yeah. whole thing seems really odd. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. <laughs> no, I mean, because the statement, her attorney, the statement from her attorney says that she, Ennis, has video evidence of the fight with a woman. Huh. So. So is she going to get charged now with filing false charges? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Ennis has apologized to everyone uh, that may have been harmed. Um, he's due in court next week to face the two charges of domestic violence related to this. So, well, assuming that she is telling the truth, which why wouldn't we? If her attorney is saying she is. Lady, do you know how harmful it is to, you are now the one extremely public percent of people who lie about this shit and it makes it so much harder for other people to be believed. Yep. Um, So that's all I have to say about that. The whole thing, either it's just real fishy or she's an asshole and I well, I don't know. Maybe she shouldn't be charged. I'm not sure what's going on in her life, but it seems like she should. There should be something with her being held accountable for making this shit up. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not a choir boy, but no, he's been in trouble mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think going back to like 2012. Right. Were they were the his, were his prior troubles related to domestic violence incidents, or were they more like drug and alcohol? Oh, didn't he? I think he had a gun, right, at a party. Yes. Yeah, in Santa Clara. Yeah. 
No, I think that's um, one of the... I'm just Googling no. history of trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was one of... Yeah, I think they have been kind of like gun charges, um, maybe not necessarily domestic violence charges, but like assault charges. Other people are involved. Um, our last story of the three-minute warning is probably like my favorite of the week. It involves uh, Dr. Dre who tried to trademark his name um, and he lost the dispute over the trademark um, after he tried to prevent a gynecologist um, whose name is Dre Dreon M. Birch from trademarking the name Dr. Dre, spelled D-R-A-I. Uh, Dreon is spelled D-R-A-I-O-N. Um, Dr. Dre, the gynecologist, is a well-known practicing gynecologist and obstetrician and is the author of books including 20 Things You May Not Know About the Vagina and is a public speaker on women's health issues. Um, Dr. Dre, the rapper, argued that the public would be confused by the similarity of names, but Birch said that there would be no confusion because Dr. Dre is not actually a medical doctor, nor is he qualified to provide any type of medical services or sell products. And he won! <laughs> he won! Um, the U.S. Trademark Office, I think this is pretty funny, characterized uh, Dr. Dre, the rapper's work, as containing, quote, harder than the rest braggadocio to customary, customary disses of ex-comrade Ice Cube and mind-boggling misogyny. Shit. That's yes. <laughs> I know. Like, this is a U.S. trademark office. This is not really an office that goes out on a limb and makes these sorts of assessments. Are they yeah. trying to show that it's quite different from being a like women's health practitioner? I guess so. Because <laughs> the doc, Dr. Birch, the yeah. gynecologist, he argued that he wasn't trying to advance his career based on Dr. Dre's name because he finds rap lyrics, and especially Dr. Dre's rap lyrics, like deeply offensive to women. Yeah, and, that's fair. And he says he doesn't want to be associated with anyone that would have that. Sort sort of mis misogynistic speech because that would be a bad reflection of him as a gynecologist and obstetrician. So, um, yeah, anyways, that was, that made me laugh. Very interesting. Well, congratulations to the actual medical Dr. Dre mm -hmm. on his uh, win before the uh, Patent and Trademark Office. Yep. Yay! Okay. I'm turning the floor over to you because it's now time for reality TV stage. So we're gonna end this episode the way we started it with a shitty kind of old white guy. Um, today's reality TV stoop, we're going to cover the curious case of Thomas Ravenel, AKA T-Rav, one of the stars of Bravo TV's Southern Char. So T-Rav, um, who is in his mid fifties, I think, he comes from a family that has existed in South Carolina since like a dirt was discovered in South Carolina. <laughs> there was a very large bridge named after someone in his family. So he's like a big mucky muck down there. Um, he's no stranger to legal troubles. He uh, ran, he was actually elected as, I believe, Secretary of State in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. He ran for U.S. Senate against Lindsey Graham in the most recent um, Senate election. Uh, he, as part of his career, had been fined nearly $20,000 by the Federal Election Commission for improperly filing forms during his campaign. He also spent time in a federal penitentiary for um, cocaine distribution charges. <laughs> He's been accused of assaulting the, a friend of the mother of his two children by slamming a door in her face and knocking her down some stairs. Um, Wait, did he knock her down? Like, did he physically, or when the door slammed in her face, she fell backwards down some stairs? So it's unclear whether, because I think on the show they said that he slammed a glass door on her and the glass broke and it oh, sent her flying fine. backwards. Yeah. 
in the um, news reports, I'm finding that detail is missing. Okay. But basically, he, I guess the way this reads is that he slammed the door on her so hard she fell backwards and landed in a bush and hurt herself. <laughs> Sorry, she, I don't mean to laugh. That's, that's pretty I mean, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. She alleged um, as part of that that he had been carrying his then infant daughter near the pool and fell into the pool um, while holding his child. Mm -hmm. So that's not a great look. Um, he may have been intoxicated at the time. Um, so the reason that we are talking about T-Rab today is it because a story recently broke about a um, settlement he reached with a woman um, who he met on Tinder and uh, apparently took out on a date. And um, during that date in October of 2015, um, I'm sorry, the date was on Christmas yes. Day of 2015. They met on Tinder in October. Um, he se allegedly sexually assaulted her while they were on their date. So I read the article, but I read the article like a week ago. Mm -hmm. Did they actually go out somewhere and then they went back to his house or did he just take her straight back to her, his house I to like show her around? And I, my understanding is that they went out okay. somewhere, they met up somewhere and this woman, the alleged victim, um, Debbie Holloway Perkins, uh, was... She, was, she worked in real estate, and he yeah. said he wanted oh, her to come back to his house so and he could show her the yeah. house. Mm -hmm. um, and it was at that point he took her out to like a guest house in the back um, and attacked her. Uh, she, the story broke because her daughter released the details on, um, I guess, her personal website. Uh, and she explained that she and her mom participated in a mediation during which uh, Ravenel agreed to pay her $200,000 and made Debbie sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, didn't make the daughter sign one. Um, and so that's why she believed that it was okay for her to um, speak out about this. And she's basically asserted, she just thinks people need to know what kind of person this guy is um, and that he should, be, he should not be on the Bravo show. I will tell you, I feel kind of gross continuing to watch the show because he is a super creep. The mother of his two children um, is a woman named Catherine Dennis. She, I believe, is 25 years old now. Now. He first met her when I think she was 20. Um, his current girlfriend is in her early 30s. Um, he's just a, ugh, just gross. And like to each their own. Age is nothing but a number, I suppose, but um, I do think it's just based on his overall vibe. It kind of tells you something that he is constantly dating people who are half his age. But, and I'm not defending him in any way, shape, or form, when you sent me that story and I read it, I thought it was the young girl who was the one who was sexually assaulted, not her mom, who was actually kind of age-appropriate, right? Right, but then I think he made, like, nasty comments about how old she was. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just, ugh, he's just, he's, he gives off a creepy old man vibe um, watching the show and... Um, yeah, the whole thing is, he's just a terrible person. I wish he were not, no longer on the show. He's not entertaining. He's just upsetting. Anyway, all this is to say, this story broke, um, and um, there is a, um, I guess, an ongoing criminal investigation into him. Um, the incidents reported 
on that investigation are uh, sex offense and forcible rape. Mm. Um, it's not, I will say it's not clear, um, at least from current reporting, whether those allegations are related to the assault on Debbie Perkins or if this was another victim because in the, um, in the police report, actually, no, looking at these, these dates, it had to have been a different person because the, um, the allegations that are serving as the basis for the criminal investigation happened in January of 2015. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, and I'm sorry. He was also the state treasurer, not the secretary of state. I really should have reviewed this a little more closely, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, T-Rav, uh, looks like he's in some trouble and he has asserted that nothing that this woman said was accurate, that he didn't attack her mother and none of it ever happened. It's, and it um, was just like he paid her 200 grand, I guess, because it was a nuisance claim and just wanted her to go away. But she has photographs of like the, her, her mom mom's injuries. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's that. So I'm personally grappling with whether I should continue to watch this reality TV show because he is a garbage person and he gets paid to be on the show and uh, stop listening to our Kelly music. So what's the difference here? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. Are there any other compelling storylines in the show that you... Not really. They're all pretty terrible people. They're not... There are no real housewives that I can tell you. Yeah. I mean, so. I always knew that this was always in the tier below housewives, so... Um, so yeah, uh, he's just gross. He's not mm -hmm. a good dude. Mm -mm. He's also the one whose dad kind of implied Abraham Lincoln was a bad person for ending slavery. So like that's was it because his dad was alive at the time? <laughs> like, Could have been. His dad's in his nineties, but no, okay, he no. wouldn't have been alive at the time. But I'm sure they've been in South Carolina for ages. I'm sure the end of slavery was yeah. challenging for their extremely <laughs> wealthy family. So I like not that. to make jokes about slavery. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to laugh because it keeps you from crying. Right. Yeah. Crying would be sad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what we've got this time around. Hopefully we will not wait six weeks to be back with you. I'm hoping that our work lives are a little calmer so that we can be back with you on a more consistent basis. Um, thanks again to friend of the pod, Rob, for giving us something very... Um, juicy to talk about at the top of the hour <laughs> um otherwise yeah we should we hope to be back with you again sometime soon yeah and um, as always you can check us out on twitter or instagram at ufr underscore bg um you can email us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com and check out our website at underfurtherreview-bg.com thanks everyone we'll be back with you soon bye bye